We just completed really like three weeks of looking at trusting the Lord with our resources, that he's going to provide our daily bread, that our treasures in heaven, not to fret, not to worry about these things, how he takes care of the birds and lilies of the field and all that. So we've been in that topic, and now we get a, a shift in topic. We, we shift our gears from provision that the Lord is going to provide for us to functioning in society and living the human experience with other human beings. So we pick it up in chapter 7, verse 1, where Jesus continues with this Sermon on the Mount. He says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. We have a similar passage in Luke chapter 6 in what's known as the Sermon on the Plain. Now, the Sermon on the Plain is similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but it's Jesus teaching on a flat, it says he was in a flat level area, almost like Costa Mesa, you know, flat coast, Costa Mesa. And in that text, where a lot of similar synonymous texts appear to the Sermon on the Mount, we read in verse 37 of chapter 6 of Luke, Jesus says this, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So we can see the similarities in these passages. Common denominator with the Luke 6 and this text tonight in Matthew 7 is that judge not, lest you be judged, and with the same measure you use, it'll come back to you. So basically, judge not, lest you be judged, and however you judge, you're going to sow, you're going to reap. The same standard you use is going to come back to you in the universal law of sowing and reaping, which is a spiritual law that God has put over his universe for the human experience. But the Luke text is helpful in understanding what Jesus means here by judge not, lest you be judged, because in the Luke text, he gives condemnation as well, and that gives a little more understanding, a little more fiber, a little more girth to understanding what it means in the context of what he is saying by judge not. For certain, we all know in the human experience and in the biblical record, we're told to test all things. We're told to be discerning. We're told to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. So, you know, the idea that we check out our, our discernment and our perspective and observation of things is not what Jesus is teaching here. One need only go to the Proverbs with the warnings of the harshest woman where men are exhorted and told, beware of her, this is what she's like. So unless you're going to end up in the harlot's house, you're going to discern and recognize a harlot, and you're going to make that assessment and that judgment and stay away from that. And even in the same chapter, Jesus is going to say, you'll know them by their fruit, false teachers. So we just need to make sure we have the whole panoramic scripture, interpreting scripture, lest we misunderstand what it means by the, the judging here. So again, we all have our personal perspectives. We have the reality of observation. If you know someone in your family or your workplace are toxic, you're going to make an assessment on that. Every time they come around you, it's toxic. So you try and avoid them at lunchtime, right? 
or you limit your family gatherings, you even define them. If you have family members that drink alcohol and they become belligerent and obnoxious, you move your family gatherings earlier in the day and you recognize as soon as the alcohol is a factor, you've got 20 minutes to pack it up and get out of town. That's not judgment. That's observation, that's perspective, that's wisdom. In fact, when you look at the book of Proverbs, you have knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing something as a fact that happens. Understanding is realizing what that means. I know this relative drinks. I understand when they start drinking, we've got 20 minutes to get out of here before they become verbally abusive and catty and it gets ugly. Wisdom is, I'm going to start packing up the car after 10 minutes and get the kids in the car after 20. We know this knowledge, this is understanding, and this is wisdom. Wisdom is the right actions. So again, just the totality of Scripture would tell us in looking at this idea of judge not that you be not judged, it doesn't mean we're not discerning, recognizing that we don't have opinions, observations, perspectives, and human experiences to tell us to make a decision or a conclusion in our mind to protect ourselves, our family, our children, our co-workers, our neighborhood, our community, even our country, if you will. So we bear that in mind because also when we think about this, in a real experience, we make important decisions that require discernment and evaluation. Many of you have employees. Some of you have many employees underneath you, and some of you at times maybe had even hundreds, if not thousands of employees technically under you. I know how successful many of you have been in the business world. And we realize that when you're hiring people, you're discerning people. You're making, you're looking at a resume, you're evaluating that resume, you are making a judgment call. Does this person have the right skill set? It looks good on paper, it looks good in the submission, but now in this phone call, okay, it's looking like this. Then you have like a Zoom, maybe, it's like, well, I like this person, but there's a process. And what you're really doing, right, as a, someone's hiring, they're, they're weeding out. Right? So you get this, then you get this, then you get that. And it comes, when Luke, my son, got hired at Hyundai, he was 23, and he's up against a 37-year-old industry career executive. And they just loved Luke. He, they, they said, this guy, is, he's a go-getter. We want him on our team. And they chose him over that executive who'd worked for previous car companies. Luke, with time, was working as a recruiter for Grand Canyon University. But they discerned the situation. They looked at his skill set. They liked how he carried himself in the interview. And they said, you know what? You know what we're going to pass on that NFL running back? We're going to draft this kid, and we're going to build our offense around him. And he's thriving and doing great. So you make, a, you make a discernment and a judgment call when you're hiring. Also, if you're thinking you're going to need to fire someone, it's pretty hard to fire people these days, as most of you know. If you're evaluating why you're firing them, it's one thing if you let them go. So let's say downsizing, COVID world, you got to let certain people go. So hard. People in business will tell you the first 10% is like cutting fat. That's the easy part. But once you start cutting into meat, that's the hard part. Because you're letting people go who you really value. And yet you still have to discern and make judgment, judgment calls on there. And this is important to understand. Again, for all of us here, the context. When you're thinking about marrying someone and you're engaged, it's really easy to be in love with being in love. You need to be in love because you're in love with the person, not that you're in love with the idea of being in love. So you need to, you may not be discerning things, but your parents should be discerning things, right? They're, Dad, you're judging him. Mom, you're judging her. No, no, we're, we're, we're just, we're just, you know, we're discerning. And for you younger people know this, that 
You, the best you'll see the brand is before you're married. They're showcasing the brand as good as it looks. Because, I mean, when I was dating Jennifer, I didn't surf at all. I was like Mr. Spiritual. I was like, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do all this. I just poured it on like maple syrup. I just I was pouring it on. We come back from the honeymoon. The very first Friday, I'm like, this is my surfboard. The South Swell lowers. I'm leaving. I'll be back in 10 hours. What was that? Like, where'd that come from? Right? Like, oh, yeah, I, I surf. The whole time we're dating, you never surf. Like, <laughs> I'm surfing now. <laughs> I got you here at home making dinner. It's a good gig. Yeah. Now, don't worry, ladies. God can fix that in little one of these from the Lord. But I'll show that. So we, the, we need to put all that out there as sort of like a disclaimer and understanding the context. Because being in ministry for 33 years, I've had to discern a lot of difficult things and make a lot of difficult judgment calls in the best interest of simple things and serious things from stalkers, restraining orders, all this kind of stuff, that, these things that affect churches. Megan's List, sex criminals in our sanctuary. Are we going to let them stay? We've talked to them. Do we, how do we handle this biblically? You know, like, so believe me, you, you have to make judgment calls on a lot of things in life. And there's no way around it. So that's why I go to Luke 6, because judge not lest you be judged, condemn not lest you be condemned. So that's really the context, I believe, here, is that you have to make judgment calls. But even when I make a judgment call, and I confront someone in times past that were stalking people, and they can't come here, and they threaten me and my family, they know where I live, that's, that's a judgment call. And we're doing what we need to do, and we're aware of that, and we have security looking out for this person in these situations. But I'm not throwing them under the bus. Like, I'm not saying, like, hey, you know, like, I'm not giving up on you. I'm just saying we don't have a ministry with you. And you definitely have a ministry this woman going to our church. So I'm not giving up on them, and I would hope that these people would, would be in a good place with the Lord later on. I'm just saying I don't have the ministry with them in that situation. Or in some cases, there's just no hope of reconciliation. Some things just cannot, you have to be like Romans as much as up to you, the peaceably with other men, and you just, that's just the way it is. And it's never going to, it's not going to be more than that. I'm not, I'm not giving up on God's opportunity to work in their life or that they can be saved in that sense. I'm just saying I'm not the vessel that God's going to do it through. Because some people think they can save the world no matter what, and you find out you can't. You cannot. Jesus saves people. Jesus saves people. He saves them through people, but he has the right people that he works through to reach certain people. And one man plants, another woman waters, but the Lord gives an increase. And as a shepherd, sometimes you definitely have to make judgment calls. But even so, I try to never make a condemnation call. So, judge not. Okay. So, we have our opinions about certain things, and we think that this would be better for someone's life than that, and we don't agree with their decision, and maybe the closer we are to them, the more our judgment comes in. We just have to be really careful about that. Romans talks about this. In Romans chapter 14, Paul the Apostle was addressing this issue about believers judging one another. And so this is worth a read at this point for us tonight. So let me read this text to you. He said in verse 4 of chapter 14, by the Holy Spirit, Paul the Apostle says, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or fall. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him or her stand. One person esteems one day, another another. 
Seems another day alike, let each be fully convinced in their own mind. Later on, he went on to say this in verse 10. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account to himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause him to fall in our brother's way as well. There are some other passages similar to this in other parts of the New Testament. But the whole idea is that I remember when I was in Virginia Beach in 1991 that a family was a part of this church. It was a big church, big Pentecostal church. And they felt called to move from Virginia Beach, North Carolina. And they came to our church and they were seeking counsel because the pastor had pulled them aside and said, God would never call you to move to North Carolina. The pastor said, basically, God speaks to me to you. This is all manipulation. And does, you know what it says in Revelation that God hates the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Nico to Lord over the laity. That's a Nicolaitan, people that do that. And they were just so distraught. And I was like, that's, that's, that's not anyone's place to say it, to judge you because you feel led to move out of state. That's your business. Um, I couldn't even wrap my mind around Like, who would ever say that? I'm, I've got a hard enough time working out God's will for my life, let alone policing his will for your life, going from Virginia to North Carolina. And they were so relieved. But they felt like they were failing God. And, of course, obviously the leadership's going to give an account for that. One man it seems one day, another, another. You feel led to live in Virginia Beach and pastor a church? They feel led to go to North Carolina and pursue the job. Who are you to judge another one, let alone put a yoke on them either as well in that situation? Now, if they're going there to grow acres of cannabis illegally, then you might want to say, you sure about this? And maybe that's not going to be a good ending before it was legal and even after it is legal? I mean, it's not like we don't have a place to say something, but in the end, you just, it's, it's not. Like it says in Romans, like God's able to, who are you to judge another servant? Like, do your deal. It's like when Jesus said to Peter, when you get old, you're going to go where you don't want to go. And he looks at John, he goes, well, what about him? Don't you worry about him. You take care of you. I got John. So we do get like this. The world's like this. Everyone has an opinion. And in the church, it gets like this. So we need to recognize that and just give space for God to guide people and work in their life. He works in different people's lives in different ways, at different paces, through different life lessons. And we need to trust that all things will work together for good. Even speaking with someone this week, they talked about how they shared with a family member things that God put on their heart that were not well received and years later proves to be true. I shared about my sister's whole situation recently from the pulpit about giving a warning to her when she was living in sin and she, my mom was against me, everyone was against me. It took 30 years, but my sister thanks me, thanks me for that time and that day when I, I stood on the word of God and gave the exhortation about what she was doing. But still, I didn't try and make her move out of her boyfriend's house. I didn't try and tell her what to do with her life. I just said, the Bible says this, this situation, we're not going to do that. We wish you all the best. It's a tricky thing, but the bottom line is this. When you go from discerning things or recognizing things, once you, once you kind of throw someone under the bus, that's when you're condemning them. When you're like, when you think that your opinion or when I think that my opinion is judge and jury of someone's life and I hold the high ground on them, that's, that's a dangerous thing. And Jesus even says, in the measure you judge will be judged of you. 
by the measure. And in Luke chapter 6, he said the same thing, by the measure. So know this, when we form strong judgments that become negative attitudes toward people, or we condemn them, the very measure that we're bringing upon them is the very measure that's going to come back to us in our life. It's like a boomerang. It's a universal law. So let me say this one more time. This is super important, especially for the younger people. It's like sowing and reaping. When you sow generously, you reap generously. It's like gravity. So listen to me. Gravity is the primary thing that really guides our universe physically. Sowing and reaping is the primary thing that guides our universe spiritually. If I sow bountifully, I'll reap bountifully. Good measure pressed down. We read it in Luke chapter 6. If I sow judgment and condemnation, it's exactly what's going to come my way. If I show mercy, I will find mercy. But if I'm harsh, I will receive harsh treatment. It, it all, in the scales of how the universe works, spiritually it works that way. So it's a good self-motivation of self-preservation to not be judgmental and condemning of other people because in the measure you use, it will be used of you. And those of us that are older can testify that there's generally pretty strong chastening for believers when they sit back as a judge and jury of other people and how that plays out in their life. Rather than being judgmental and condemning, we want to be people who respect other people's rights to make personal decisions, especially when it's not obvious whether... Whether it seems like a good decision or a bad decision doesn't matter. A common sense decision or a critical thinking decision, it doesn't matter. Now, obviously, if they're moving towards sin and you're trying to stop them from sinning, like Uriah is going to the temple because he thinks he can go there because he's the king, and you're trying to stop him, that's one thing. But that's not really the context here. It's more just like, I, I don't think that, I don't think, I don't think, here's a good example. I don't think Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa should put uh, the water fountain in there. So they put the water fountain in, and lots of people think, like, why did they put that there? Why did Chuck do that? Chuck passes away, what do they do? They take down the water fountain and put a greeting center in. I don't think they should put a greeting center there. I like that water fountain, right? Like, that's, that's you know, like we just, you get these opinions and attitudes. It's like, who cares? Carpet's red, carpet's blue. Maybe you like the old pews better than these new ones. Maybe you don't think these blue square carpet pieces are better than the old carpet that was stained everywhere, right? We all have opinions. So what we want to do with people that are living their lives, figuring out on their journey, like we're living our lives, figuring out on ours, is we want to re- give respect to the person and the ability of God to work in their life, especially when they're, again, believers. Because if Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith and someone else is a believer, then he's the author and finisher of their faith. And if it's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure, he's going to will and work in them for his good pleasure. And if he can cause all things to work together for good in our life, he can cause all things to work together for good in their life. See, one of the valuable lessons I learned with my sister when she was homeless for years, I did condemn her. I officially gave up on my sister. The only time I changed my phone number was because of her. I probably could have blocked it, baby boomer. But, uh, so I, I went and changed the number because I got tired of these deranged messages. And those people that know what these people sound like, you know what it sounds like ranting, raving, deranged. I was just, and my mom would always say, don't give up on your sister. Don't, I'm like, you don't have to give up on her because you're mom. But I'm her brother, and I'm sick of this. I'm sick of her quoting scripture out of context for 30 years, watching her train wreck her life, train wreck her son's life, all these decisions. I'm tired of picking up the pieces of her life for 30 years. 
my brother and I were convinced she was completely out of her mind. When you see someone at 7 in the morning ranting and shouting and screaming at a stoplight, you're inclined to think they're out of their mind. But my mom never gave up on her. And now, you know, I see her at the women's events at Calvary Chapel Vero Beach with my daughter Hannah teaching the event. I see her with the greeters welcoming people to the church. I'm like, it's my sister welcoming people to Calvary Chapel Vero Beach. And if anyone comes in like kind of sketchy, like, hey, come meet Rehab Barbie. I mean Barbie. Come meet Barbie. Right, because like my mom said, because me and my brothers call, yeah, oh, Rehab Barbie. Mom's like, don't you dare call your sister Rehab Barbie. But she says she's okay with it, but now that mom's gone, I, I shouldn't. But, you know, occasionally Barbie goes, I know, Rehab Barbie. Like, she uses it against herself when she makes a bad decision. She goes, I know, Rehab Barbie. But there's Barbie, and when I was in Vero Beach a month ago, five weeks ago with her, and she's like, oh, I want you to meet my friends. It was those friends. It's this woman that's been through this. And it's that person that's been through that. And it's like, yeah. And God's using her. And she texted me how excited she was to share her testimony with someone at Home Depot during her, her break time. I gave up on her. That would be condemnation. I threw her under the bus. And my mom never did. And the Lord taught me through all that, like, don't ever give up on anyone ever again. So for my own life, I've learned no matter how far gone someone seems to be, we might not have a ministry with them. That's the third point. We'll come to that. But it doesn't mean we give up on them. We give people room and we give them respect and we give the Holy Spirit way to work in people's lives. That's what it means to judge not. Let's be judged for the measure we judge, it'll be judged of us. And we're all guilty of this, myself included. It's, it's an area to grow. To quote Barbie, progress, not perfection. So we can grow with these things. Now, the second thing we see here is the plank in our eye, to remove the plank from our eye. So he said, Jesus asked a question. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Verse 3, verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye? Look, the plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is interesting because Jesus is saying, first of all, why do you say this? So you're judging someone in a minor, like a misdemeanor, and you're carrying on a bunch of felony charges. That's what the equivalent would be like. They got a speck in their eye, like a misdemeanor, criminal misdemeanor, and you walk around with a plank in your eye like Mr. Mrs. Felony. Like yours is far more serious than theirs, and you're, you're going to come in, judge and jury, you're going to call them out and you're going to fix this and tell them what to do and, and the Lord's like why, why would you do that but notice what he says first remove the speck in your eye and then excuse me first remove the plank in your eye and then you can help your brother with their speck in their eye because if you can remove the plank with the help of the Lord you'll have a right heart and then you can help someone else with the right motives like it says in Galatians that if your brothers anyone's caught up in a trespass you who are spiritual consider yourself and go restore that person in other words, know in brokenness that you could be that person and come with humility and do what you can to help them. But the, the crux of what's being said here is the idea that we're so busy judging, jury, condemning other people that we don't even realize what's really going on in our own life. And that's what he's saying. First remove the speck, excuse me, first remove the plank in your eye before you pick on someone else's speck in their eye. So really what we're getting here now is self-examination or self-reflection 
it's not always an easy thing to do, generally not a pleasant thing to do, but it must be done. In the Lord's Prayer, we saw it back in chapter 6, once we get past the glory of heaven and the kingdom perspective, we get, give us this day our daily bread, because God knows we think about eating more than we do about repenting, and then forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. So he lets us come first with all of our concerns, all of our physical, material concerns. But then he says, now that we've got that out of the way, because that's what you're thinking about more, we're more inclined to think material than spiritual, and God meets us there. Then he says, forgive us our debts. In the Lord's Prayer, which is considered a daily prayer, in this manner, pray. Once we get past, how am I going to do this? How am I going to balance the checkbook? How are we going to make this work? Once we get past that, Lord's like, let's, let's take a look at the heart. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. So there in the Lord's Prayer, there is self-reflection. There's a place for personal examination and consideration of what is going on in our life and what God would have us to do. First and Second Corinthians also have this in mind, particularly with communion. And with communion next week, that's why so often I mention it during communion, that we, when we come to communion it's a time of remembrance. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But it's also a time of confession and repentance. Because we're told there in 1 Corinthians, when you come to the Lord's table, to examine yourself to see where you're at. I believe there's something supernatural that happens when Danny's here Tuesday or Chris on Saturday. That when we have that 15, 20 minutes, we've, heard, we've worshipped, we've heard the word. And now we're going to come to the sacrament, the table of the sacraments. That... I believe that God does, because Jesus instituted the sacrament. So it's just like water baptism. There's two things that are special sacraments he instituted. And since he instituted them, therefore, there's a reason for it by which the Holy Spirit works to build up the believers. So a new believer to show them their identity in Christ. And through communion, our entire journey as believers, to be remembered that we're saved by grace. Do this in remembrance of me. And then to also to reflect and to make things straight. So if you've been pretty preoccupied and busy during the week or the last month, but if you just slow it down, just pump those brakes and slow it down. Well, some of you prepare yourself to come to communion. By the way, this is a good little exhortation. Whenever we have communion services, I always try to prepare myself for communion. I just try to like not like it's not like another service, even as a pastor teacher, but it is communion. So I try and throughout the day remind myself it's a communion service. God's going to be reminding us of his grace. He's going to be searching us out. He's going to be searching me out. Psalm 139, search me, O God. Try me, know me, see if there be any wicked way in me. It's a time for me to be examined. It's one thing to be praying in the morning and like, Lord, just forgive my debts. Help me forgive others. You can move on pretty quick from that, right? You can be very general, like, oh, forgive my debts and help me forgive others. Like, no, no, let's, let's come back here. Come back here. Or when Pastor Geller was still alive and I was on staff at Calvary Vista, he did at Calvary Costa Mesa too. I always knew when he wanted to talk to me about something and it was a reproof. He'd be like, hey, hey, buddy. He'd do that. He'd like, hey, hey, buddy. Oh, no. It was always a reproof. It was never like, hey, you're doing a great job with the drug and alcohol ministry. Or, Dude, you're crushing it. That was a great Bible study Wednesday night. I said, like, no. We got some complaints about what you said. Here's the cassette tape. You should listen to it. That kind of stuff. Well, that needs to happen. That needs to happen. I prefer to get that from the Holy Spirit. I mean, personally, I don't want my 
my dirty laundry hanging out in front of Gaylord's office, like, hey, Joey, come on in. Oh, look at this. Like, oh. you know, like, I, I prefer the Holy Spirit goes, hey, you know, wouldn't you? Private rebuke with the Holy Spirit is a softer landing than public rebuke with godly men and women. Private rebuke is better. You and the, you and the Lord, so make time for the Lord. So you can receive what he's showing you. In praying for all things we pray for, it's important that we just pause, pausa, and just think about it. Because there, there might be things that, when you read the word of God that day, that God spoke to you and you maybe wrote, that's why I like to write in a journal because it makes me think about things. It makes me, you know, sometimes I just write like two sentences. Yep. Don't think bad thoughts. Say nice things. You know what I'm saying? Like, but other times like, oh, it's like I got a whole page. I can have two pages, but I'm thinking. We want to give, we want to think about the Lord, meditate on the things of the Lord, Psalm 1, and give the Holy Spirit time to show us like, hey, this situation, I'm trying to get your attention. And this, the way you handle that was not the right way to handle that. You can't make that better because that was a stranger. But the way you handled this, you can't make that better because you see that person a couple times a week, right? Like, you, you, you learn. So we talk about the frequency of the Lord to guide us, like who to marry, what college to go to, where to live, where to buy a house, where to sell a house. But we really, you know, we really want the Lord to guide us on, you got to make this right. Because if, if we are teachable and correctable by the Holy Spirit in the secret and the quiet place, it is so much more beneficial for us as a human being in our character, our conduct, and our convictions. And it's so much more beneficial to the people that live with us and we share the journey with. The best person to share the journey of life with is a person that can be reproved by the Holy Spirit privately with self-examination reflection to be corrected by the Lord. They're going to be a better wife, a better husband, a better dad, a better grandparent, a better son, a better sibling. That, that person is going to be a blessed person. And if you can continue that way through the journey, it's going, to just, it's going to be in your best interest for eternity, for eternal fruit, and it's going to be a blessing till you get there to the people around you. So we need to, when, particularly when we find ourselves picking on a speck in someone else's eye, just step back and say, all right, now, and it's been said that we're most quick to point out and condemn that which we're guilty of. And you find that to be true. How could that person, I can't believe they did that. And then you're home later and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. <laughs> right? How many times has that happened to you? It's like, hmm. But who wants to be an old foolish king that doesn't receive correction? So you don't want to be like, oh, that's not me. You want to be like, yeah, that's not good. You work on that. So 1 Corinthians with communion tells us, the Lord's Prayer tells us to examine ourselves, to ask forgiveness, and invite the Holy Spirit to correct us. 1 Corinthians tells us that we should examine ourselves when we take communion, just, just in case. Just a little, just a little extra, extra time set aside to do that. And then even in 2 Corinthians, right near the end of the book, Paul says the same thing, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Just to really, to be sensitive, to be correctable, not, not to be over-reflective because you can overthink things, but just... To be still enough to let the Lord correct us when he needs to. And in so doing, we can be the person that can be entrusted with saying things that need to be said that are hard to say to other people. Because we'll approach it the right way. Because the Bible tells us that open reproof is better than love carefully concealed. And faithful the wounds of a friend and deceitful the kisses of an enemy. 
And the Bible talks about in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go tell them their fault. And if they don't receive it, take your witness and then take it to the church. Like These are hard passages. But if we know that we are sinners saved by grace, we need to be forgiven, then it helps us to handle these things in a better way. I remember in Virginia Beach, this is the second year we were there. We've been through so much, but there, <laughs> I, I don't even, we had to confront this thing, and, and I, I just, I don't know, like, I, I, th- I thought I was going to have the perfect church or something, like, that didn't exist, of course, but I just remember, like, the guy that was with me in leadership, he goes, dude, you reminded me of Rambo. Like, let me just tell you something, if you know much about ministry, when someone tells the pastor they remind him of Rambo, that's probably not a good thing. I'm just saying, like, Sylvester Stallone is great to rescue people in Vietnam or fight cops in Oregon. But Rambo is not who you want talking to you trying to bring correction on something. It's just not the, it's bad casting. It's bad casting. Pastor talking to someone, let's cast Sylvester Stallone Rambo to do it, you know? Like, no, that's not how it works. I just remember, like, I was just like, dude, you said I was like Rambo. No, wait, right, Rambo. Wait a second. I'm acting like Rambo right now. Like, you want to burn the village or something? Like, that's Rambo. Like, just, just don't be Rambo. And that's what the Lord said to me in 1982. Just don't be Rambo. We, we, don't, we don't need Rambo in the church. Okay, and this Rambo saved, and he's a different kind of Rambo. So you, you, we, get, we examine ourselves, we let the Lord reprove us and correct us, and then we're better off to bless and benefit other people. So if we can let the Lord remove the plank in our eye, then maybe we can be used by the Lord to help other people with their specs, and we can help them in their journey. And that's what we want to do. We want to be a blessing to other people. The Bible tells us if we turn to sin from their ways, we bring a blessing upon them and upon ourselves. That's what it tells us in 1 John. When Nathan reproved David, think how hard it was for Nathan the prophet to go in and confront David, and yet David received it. That's the beauty of David. Remember when Abigail came out to David? David's going to go kill a bunch of people. Abigail comes out like, you don't want to do this. This so. You're going to be the king in no time. You'll regret that you ever did this. And he's like, wow, what a wise woman. I want to be my wife. <laughs> like, he ended up marrying her. But it's like, and then God struck down uh, uh, Nabal, her husband. He didn't have to go strike him down. God struck him down. We want to be used that way, and we want to be able to receive that way. But in full conclusion on point number two, it's always better to have the Holy Spirit reprove you privately than have to get the public one. It's just better. And if you get it publicly and you realize later on, man, the Lord tried to give this to me privately, then you really feel foolish. But if you get it publicly and there was no setup before that, okay, that's just you and the Lord. But for me personally, I would much rather hear it in the morning with Jesus and go like, wow. And then proactively take, make a call or do this thing or whatever and get it right. Then have to have someone come after me and say like, dude, you remind me of Rambo. Like, it's better that you can see it with the Lord. Finally, the third thing is interesting, where he says in verse 6, so we have, judge not that you be not judged. First remove the plank and all that. And then now we get, do not give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. This is in the context of interacting with other human beings and other people. And this verse, historically, has somewhat perplexed me. I mean, the basic understanding is, some people aren't going to receive what you have to say. Right? Like some people, when you share the gospel, Jesus said, when you go to that city and you share the gospel, if they receive you, break bread with them. If not, shake the dust off your feet. Right? So that's kind of the idea like, hey, shake the dust off your feet, move along. That's the idea that if you present something holy and they're a dog, once a dog, always a dog. The Bible tells us in Second Peter that they return to their own vomit like a dog. Right? 
So a dog is a dog, and dogs act like dogs. And if you're presenting the gospel, and it's beautiful, and it's holy ground, because the gospel is holy ground, and they're just throwing it back at you, you shake the dust off your feet and move on. That's pretty much a contextual understanding here. And we see that with Jesus. Recently, my wife was sharing from one of her devotions that really spoke to me. And it was where Jesus was in Nazareth, and he read the text from Isaiah, this day that's just fulfilled in your midst. And they, they grabbed him, and they said, is this not the son of Joseph, and his sisters are here with us, and, you know, this is the carpenter's son, and, you know, do, you did miracles other places. Show us who you really are. Do your miracles. And it said he would not do miracles because of their unbelief. And they were enraged against him, the mob, the cancel culture mob, and they grab him, and they're watching him to the edge of the cliff, of the city. Now, I've been to Nazareth. There's a cliff. So you can just, oh, there it is. That's where it happened. Like a cliff at Black Speech in the Hoy or something. Just like a, there it is. And, and they brought him there, and it says that he walked. So there's this big, climatic, intense scene of a raging mob about to kill somebody, like a YouTube clip in the Middle East or something. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns around and walks right through him. And he moved on. His time wasn't up. He was just beginning his ministry. But he didn't sit there and try and convince them that he really was the Messiah, not Joseph's son, but the son of God. He didn't call down fire from heaven to prove a point to them. He didn't do any super signs that they were demanding to prove to these dogs that he's holy. He didn't do that. He just walked right through them and went right back to Capernaum and got on with the ministry. We see a number of times when the Pharisees, it says they would sit and watch and wait, looking to critique that he'd still do, like, stretch out your arm or whatever. He'd try and say, like, you know, you'd rescue your donkey on the Sabbath. It falls in a pit. How much more important is a human being than a donkey? I mean, he gave them some stuff that was strong medicine to consider, that he was ears to hear, hear it. If they did and receive it, good for them. They're like Nicodemus. If they didn't, bad for them. They're like Caiaphas. But even when all the way to the point where he's on the cross... Like when he, well, even before it with Pilate, Pilate's like, well, what is truth? Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't go, Jesus didn't say to Pilate, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can the Father but through me. He said that to his disciples. Pilate says, what is truth? Pilate's like, I have the power to release you to do this. And Jesus is like, you have no power unless you came from above. When he was on the cross, what's one of the last things we see? They're like, you said you're the son of God. He rescued others. If you're really the son of God, come down now and prove to us that you're the son of God. No, we're not casting our pearls before pigs today. You're a bunch of snorting pigs at the foot of the cross. This is holy ground. This is the gospel. This has been prophesied since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. You guys are pigs. I forgive you. Father, forgive them. They know what they're doing, but they're pigs. You're like the pigs that ran down into the Sea of Galilee. You're pigs. This is holy. This is a precious pearl. Jesus on the cross is a precious pearl, and these guys are pigs down there saying, well, if you're really the Son of God, do this. He talked about even when John came, he came mourning, and they said, oh, you did, we didn't tell you to mourn, but you mourned. And then Jesus comes and eats and drinks with tax collectors. Like, John came like this way fasting. I came this way with the party, and it's this and that. You're like children in the marketplace. He said this and that, and no one ever does what you think they should do. That's casting what's holy to dogs and pearls before pigs. You can't please those people. The policy of appeasement never works with people like that. And you say, well, how do I know I'm dealing with someone like that? Right? Well, for one, we're told in Titus to reject the device of man after the first and second admonition, knowing that they're warped, sinning, and self-condemned. 
So when you're trying to reason with someone, and like, okay, there it is. And they're like, ah, then okay, let's try that one more time. You put it out there, ah, well, that's it. Aren't you glad God's word is thoroughly equipped to guide us? The word of God is living and powerful that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can you imagine being a pastor like, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Well, at least 490. Okay, how many times do I have to beat my head against the wall trying to win them to Christ? Two. Two. Oh, you got to forgive them from here to eternity. Innumerable. But trying to reason with them to get saved? Twice. You don't save anybody. God saves people. We're just a talking donkey. Like Balaam's donkey. Haven't I always been good to you? Stupid donkey, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're we're saved by grace. And God chooses to advance the gospel through people, which is beautiful. That's the great commission of the church. But in the end, there there are like these little manipulation traps where people manipulate us. Oh, good story. First year of the church, Brian Jameson. Does he know Brian Jameson? We love Brian Jameson. So he's like an interim pastor, you know, one year on the phones at Calvary Coast and Mesa kind of sharpened him up, taking in the prayer calls in the front desk. That got him going. We brought him here, and uh, there's family in the church, and uh, they wanted the church to pay their mortgage. So Brian went to the guy's house, and he noticed he's got a couple ATVs, state-of-the-art, big-screen TV and all this stuff. And the guy's like, yeah, man, we're just really, like, we really, you know, we believe, like, we're the church, and we're supposed to, you know, love one another, feed one another, and you know, God should be, you know, the church should be paying our mortgage. Ryan's like, well, when you sell the ATVs and your large screen TV and these things, and you've paid the mortgage and you have another mortgage, come see us. The guy was ready to throw blows with Brian. He just blew a gasket. But in his mind, that was loving his neighbor. You see, like, if you really love me and if you really love God and you love your neighbor, you'd be paying my mortgage. Oh, no, I wouldn't. That first year, first month I was on staff at Calvary Vista, I'm with Brian Burson. We pull up at the church, coming back from lunch. This homeless guy comes up and like, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord, brother. Uh, got some money for food. Brian's like, no. And the guy starts dropping profanity like he's possessed. And, and uh, Brian goes, the Bible says if man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Scram. And I was like, whoa. Where's Mother Teresa now? <laughs> with my Catholic background, right? But what a powerful lesson. Like, what a powerful lesson. Just because this homeless guy thinks the Great Commission is that we feed him from 7-Eleven doesn't mean we do. <laughs> That's, I was like, wow. I've always wondered what you do when people say feed me and you don't. Like, is that, like, really bad? I'm, you know, and, like, do you hit the holy water twice or something? Like, how do you fix that? I learned so much from Brian Bros in that moment. No, that's not, that's, that's just manipulation. That's human beings being manipulative imposing their will on you, telling you what to do with your money, your life, and your time. Dogs in holiness, pearls before pigs. It's a trap. It's a trap. That's why we're told a couple times, you can read it, and we want to win people to Christ. We really do. We want to do the right things for people. We want to, we want to show them we love them. We want to serve them. We want to do these things. But there just comes a point where you realize they're just like, hey, Simon says, if you love God, you do this. Simon says, if you love your neighbor, you do that. And you're like, okay. Hand over your wallet. Oh, okay. Like, you know, it's just like, let God be true and man a liar. In our own individual lives, we just have to recognize when people are trying to manipulate us, 
that somehow they're going to get saved or won to Christ because we do what they think we should do as their interpretation of the Bible, that's, that's not the Lord anymore. That's, that's what people like Caesar and Hitler and Stalin did and the CCP does in China right now. They say if you're good Christians, you're part of the state church that's controlled by the Communist Party. And those people that meet in house churches, not, they're not really Christians, they're rebels, and they're enemies of the state. So when we see them out in public, because we see everything you do, and we see you talking to them, we deduct you community points, and we make life harder for you. So you need to be part of the, the Three Patriot Front Church that's controlled by the Communist Party, and we'll tell you how to worship, what to teach, what to hear, and what to do. And we'll tear down your church when we want to. And those people in those home churches, they're not your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't you dare talk to them because we're watching you, everything you do. How about Bonhoeffer and Mueller? When Hitler took the Lutheran church, he says, if you're true Christians, you're going to sign this document, agree with this document that includes persecuting the Jews who are materialistic. So when we destroy their property and take their property from them, you're going to agree with us because that's what every true German Christian who's loyal to the German church is going to do. And it was guys like Bonhoeffer and Mueller said, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're now the confessing church. They became the confessing church. The Lutheran church that Hitler controlled became the capitulation church. They put Hitler and this Nazi socialism above the gospel and allowed the total destruction and rape of the Jewish people by the millions in Europe in the name of Christendom that Hitler twisted against the people. That's what they did. Mueller, he went to jail for seven years. He survived World War II. He's the one with the famous saying, when they came for these people, I didn't say anything. When they came for them, I didn't say anything. And finally, when they came for me, there was no one left to speak up for me. That's who has that famous quote. Bonhoeffer, the pacifist of all pacifists, was willing to give his life to take out Hitler because it was the lesser of two evils. He was hung in April of 1944, right before the fall of Berlin in a German concentration camp. Stalin killed 110,000 clergy in 1921 in Russia. He killed another 106,000 clergy in the 30s when he took everything from the Ukrainians, but the clergy took off, he killed 106,000 clergy in the 30s because they were enemies of the state. And so often, the religious people try to show Stalin and Lenin that they're good citizens and we, we, can, we can serve you and serve Christ. But guys like Prokhanov understood, no, you can't. So if the czar throws you in prison, you're going to prison. If the Bolsheviks throw you in prison, you're going to prison. But it's Christ before Caesar. Because the people try to manipulate you for the gospel as they see it, serving them as they are tyrannical to control you, they're little Caesars. And it's been well said of Stalin, Stalin didn't control the largest population in the world. He reproduced himself. So there's little Stalins at every level in every community, little Stalins in this town council, little Stalins in this police department, little Stalins in this fire department, little Stalins here, this clerk, this person. And the little Stalins were everywhere because Stalins are easy to reproduce because they're just the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And how often have believers in 2,000 years tried to, tried to appease people who have no interest in holy things 
And so they cast holy things to the dogs and cast pearls before swine, hoping that dogs will not be dogs and pigs won't be pigs. But they're going to be. But don't let Caesar come into the house of God saying what the word of God means or doesn't mean. Caesar doesn't know anything. They come and go. Christ is king. There's pigs and dogs. Don't live like them. Don't act like them. And don't be manipulated by them. In Jesus' name.